0: Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for his church. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, we are in a short topical study right now on the topic of worship. We uh, typically are going through a book in the Bible for long periods of time, really dissecting it as much as we can. And, but right now, we're in between books. We just finished up the uh, Johannine epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And uh, here in two weeks, we're going to be getting into the book of Matthew. And so in between these studies, I wanted to take a break for three weeks and look at this topic that is so broad so big, so daunting, and really consider a few things about what it has to say, or what Scripture has to say about it, the topic of worship. Um, And if you can't keep up, I'm going to be doing a lot of Scripture reading, uh, since it's going to be a biblical kind of survey, if you will. Um, All the Scripture citations are in your bulletin, okay, just to help you out a little bit, if you kind of lose track of, what was the verse, what was the numbers, uh, uh, nudging your... Neighbor, uh, just check the bulletin. You should be able to find them all there. But the outline for this three-week study is, is pretty simple. We're focusing specifically on worship in the corporate gathering. So worship right here in this room, what we do together. So we're not talking personal private worship, though that's very real, needs to be taking place, um, not heavenly worship that we can look forward to, um, though that's certainly real, um, but what God's word has to say about when the people of God come together, what the worship should look like. And so the outline for our three weeks is quite simple. Its first week was on the head, then today, the heart, and the next week, the hands. Worships start with our heads, right? We we think about things about God, we contemplate on them and these things should lead to emotions and, and passion in our worship and then these passions should flow out to expressions in our hands and and God cares about all of them. He cares about what we think, how we feel, and then how we act with those feelings. And so we're going to walk through each one of those last week of course we talked about theology and how um, how that matters. Now this week we're going to talk about how our theology should trigger passions. I like think I said last week that theology should result in doxology, meaning express, expressive worship. And so um, I think last week I, I mentioned the temptation that we have when it comes to uh, theology in our worship right the head. The temptation that we have is to skip the, the theology part and run straight to the emotions, right? Um, I use the analogy of, of a vehicle and just trying to um, bypass the starter, right? Well, the starter, right thinking about God matters a lot. But that's the temptation we have to bypass the starter, to rev the engine of our hearts. Well, this week, we're going to talk about the need for passion. And, and I, the, the, the struggle's different there, right? Firstly, you could have a a clog between the head to the heart, and all your theology just stays up there. All your theology just stays up there, your study for God, and your love for the study of God, and there's a clog, and it doesn't get down to your heart. That's That's a problem. That's a problem, right? I like the quote from Thomas Brooks, where he says, most men's heads have outgrown their hearts. May that not be the case for us. May our hearts grow simultaneously as our heads grow, understanding God's Word more and more, so should our affections for God grow more and more. There's also another temptation in not caring about the passion in worship, not caring about the heart of worship. And it's not so much that it doesn't, that there's a clog between the head to the heart and the theology stays up in the head, but sometimes we just want to take the theology and just run straight to the expression. You skip the heart, you go from head to hands. Maybe you're like, what in the world are you talking about? Well, we can learn theology and then just say, okay, now i got to go do it. We actually forget that there's actually this feeling that should be involved, this this love that should be involved. Let me read John 14, 15. It's very simple. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will keep my commandments. Now, if we ask, what does this verse call us to do? We may say, we need to keep His commandments. We need to obey. See, that's taking the head straight to the hands. No, no. This verse is not calling us to keep God's commandments. It's calling us to love God, which will flow then to keeping His commandments. We cannot run straight from the head to the hands. God's people need to love God, and then obedience will flow from that. So you could say that last week, when we talked about theology and how it matters, last week was really for the uh, uh, deeply emotional Christian, the one that's more keen towards feeling. Last week was for you. Right? It matters to think through theology, to slow down maybe the feelings that you're feeling and think, are my feelings flowing out of an, a right thinking of God? Right? So last week, was that's to the naturally emotional Christian, and that, that's good. Today, as we talk about the need for emotions and the need for passion in our worship, you could say that this week is for the Pharisees in the room, <laughs> the people that love the study of God and just don't care too much to feel about Him. right? And maybe that's your bent. That's probably my bent, right? I'm not bent to be more emotional. And so this sermon I need, I'll tell you, this, this sermon was really hard for me to write, to think through the need for emotions and passion in our worship because I tend to be more Pharisaic, to be like the Pharisees, where, where Jesus rightly accuse them of saying you're whitewashed tombs you look good on the outside but you've got nothing going on in here you love to study the word of god and it's done nothing to transform your heart that's today's for you if that's if that's you i could quote from john piper where he says on this topic if we just know god in our minds we're not doing anything different than the devil The devil is one of the most theological, orthodox beings in the universe. He just hates what he knows about God. Do you hear that? The devil is one of the most theological, orthodox beings in the universe. He lived with God for who knows how long before the fall. He knows about God. He's got the Scriptures front and back memorized. He quoted them to Jesus Like that. He knows everything there is to know about theology. He just hates what he knows about God. It's not enough to know about God. It should lead to the heart. So this is my desire for us as we do this study today. My desire is that ultimately each one of you, myself included, would come to church for the right reason. Not to puff up our heads with theology. But to have our hearts stirred by that theology. Now, don't hear me wrongly here. I'm not saying that we don't need theology. We do. That was last week. But our, We shouldn't just stay there and studying theology, but we should have our hearts stirred with that theology. And nothing should stir our hearts more. More regularly... And more effectively, more deeply than the character of God and the work of God. Thinking about who God is and what He has done for me on the cross, on Calvary, and saving me from my sins. Nothing should stir Isaac's emotions more than thinking through those things. So that's where we're going to go today. What does God's Word say about our, our emotions? Well, first we need to start with the simple and foundational fact that God has made all of us to be emotional creatures, right? Let me just say that. You, you were made to be emotional. Men. Isaac. You were made to be an emotional creature. Right? And there's always that macho guy. You know... Breathes like that unnecessarily. You know That would say, oh, I'm not I'm not emotional, right? Trying to act like he doesn't have emotions. Right? Then I just wonder if you went and insulted his wife or dented his truck if he would still not have any emotions. <laughs> right? And yes, for some men, unfortunately, denting his truck and insulting his wife might actually be the same offense. I'm not sure, but right? You tell a devout fan of the Detroit Lions that they're going to the Super Bowl, yeah, they might actually feel something. How long has it been? Sixty-something years? Man, that's going to stir up some emotions for that guy. They're finally making it. No, but on a more serious note, I've seen the toughest people that I know crumble emotionally when they lose someone most dear and near to them. Right? Let me tell you, that's not a sign of weakness. That is not a sign of weakness. It's actually the exact opposite of the sign of weakness. It's the sign of the Imago Day. That is that you have the image of the greatest and most powerful being in all of the universe stamped upon you. You being emotional isn't weakness it's a sign that you are like the most powerful being ever god made us in his image genesis 1:27 god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them there's much to say on this topic but certainly this god is emotional isn't he you see it all over. I picked just a few verses there. He feels delight, passionate delight, Deuteronomy 28, 63. He feels anger, burning anger. Zechariah 115. He feels deep rooted sadness. Genesis 6 6. God has many emotions. And we are made in His image. It's not weakness to show emotions. No. It's just a sign that God has given you His nature. Now, we have to consider, of course, that carefully because in our sinful nature, right, you and I are tainted by sin. He is not. And so, um, while our intellect is affected by the fall and our actions are affected by the fall so are our emotions affected by the fall we are entirely affected by the fall and so in our sinful nature there are times that what we feel is wrong and needs corrected right our feelings can be very real and very wrong at the same exact time can't they How many of you guys know that? Your feelings can be real and wrong and need to be re-aligned with God. Now, other times, though, our feelings are not only real, but they are right and reasonable feelings. And we shouldn't suppress those real and right feelings. Though... Don't we try to sometimes? We try to suppress our feelings and and not show our emotions because whatever social pressures there may be. This is true in parenting. Parents, isn't it true that when we have a crying kid, sometimes they shouldn't be crying because it's not an appropriate thing and they're just fussing because they want that cracker that they can't have, right? But there are other times where they actually feel really big feelings and they're reasonable feelings for their age to feel. And what do we do because everyone's looking at us? Stop crying. You're done crying. Right? And this would actually be wrong for the parent because their feelings are real and they're right and they're reflecting the image of God in their immature state. Right? So we as parents shouldn't suppress that in our child but allow them to display the image of God in that moment. It's also true in our grief, and I I, I just this week thinking about Linda Ishmael, right, and the grief that comes with losing a spouse, and the pain that she must be feeling and others have experienced in that. And I think for some, not all, but I think for some, the temptation is to suppress those feelings so to not be a burden for anyone else around us, right, right? We don't want to put more on other people. We don't want to tax other people. We don't want to have to vent because that's troubling for them. And these are all obviously false assumptions. But we think those things and so we try to suppress these feelings, don't we? When that grief is very reasonable to feel and good to feel, God made us to feel. We shouldn't fight this. We should embrace it as His image bearers. So we have to start there. God has made us to be emotional. And let me tell you, more specifically, our God-given emotions are always the appropriate response when we encounter God. Right? Our emotions are real, and they're right to feel, and it's always appropriate to feel emotions when we encounter God. Always. Always. There's a lot of emotions that one could feel when they encounter the God of Scripture. Right? You, know the, you know the story of Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah enters the throne room of God, this vision, and, and the angels, are, uh, the seraphim are surrounding God and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, 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 his, and his, the train of his robe is just filling the sanctuary. And, and he's describing this picture of God. And what does Isaiah do? but just falls to his hands and knees and he says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. That's, emotion, that's an emotional response, isn't it? To encountering God. He felt conviction. It's reasonable to feel when we encounter God. What about Jacob? In Genesis 28, it tells the story where um, he has this vision, he's sleeping, he has this vision where this ladder comes down from heaven. And God, at the top of it, addresses him in Genesis 28, verse 13. It says, behold, the Lord stood above it. Talking about the ladder. And he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, it will, I will give to you and to your offspring. So God meets Jacob. Can you just, ima- just can you imagine that? And what's Jacob's response? But in verse 16, it says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And He was afraid. He was afraid. And he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate to heaven. What an emotional response to encountering the Almighty. He was afraid and filled with fear. You know the story of Moses when he's up on the mountain receiving the commandments of God. And he wants to see God and he says, God, pass before me, let me see your glory. And so God says, well, you can't see my face for you will surely die, but I'll show you my back. Right? And we see in Exodus 34... Verse 5, it says the Lord descended in a cloud and he stood with Moses there and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and he proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, that God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In verse 8, we see, we see Moses' response to an encounter with the Almighty God. It says Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. So you have Isaiah who feels deep conviction. You have Jacob who feels fear. You have Moses who feels reverence and awe when they all encounter God. And of course, I mean, we know, most of us know at least, the one, the, the individual in Scripture who was indifferent and, and uh, felt boredom when he encountered God. Right? No, it didn't happen because Scripture shows that encountering God brings emotions. Could you imagine somebody just encountering God like Jacob did or like Moses did or like Isaiah did and they just have their hands in their pocket and let out a good yawn. Maybe cross their arms and lean back in their pew like check their watch. Sorry, am I describing something else but... Encountering the Almighty is a very appropriate time to feel a lot of feelings. So our worship services, if we are indeed coming to encounter God, should be filled with our emotions, our passion. Consider this, I I wrote this out for you. God is the most fearful. I want to make sure I get this right. There we go. God is the most fearful, most delightful, most awe-inspiring being to exist. If we don't expect to feel fear, delight, and awe, that means we aren't expecting to meet with Him. And maybe, just maybe, you could be feeling a mixture of all of those because we are complex creatures, aren't we? To feel at the same time awe and reverence and yet hope and joy and delight and yet fear because of the presence of God and feel all of them simultaneously when we encounter God. You see, feelings... Feelings are necessary ingredients to the worship service. If you were to describe this worship service like a meal, I would say that you need the ingredient of emotions for every meal. Right? Not just a few of the meals. I don't know if any of you guys have like that ingredient that you just want to put in every recipe for every meal. Like we love cilantro, and I know a lot of people are like, you know, it's nice. But <laughs> I, if I can find a way to work it in, I'll ask Sarah work it in. Love cilantro. If you were to describe this worship service like a meal, you need the ingredient of emotions for every meal. It's not pick or choose. This Sunday we'll have an emotional service, but the next Sunday, forget it. No, we're encountering God every time. And in fact, God rejects any worship which is passionless and which is done out of routine and tradition. If a worship service has absolutely no tug on any of of the people's hearts, God rejects that worship service. Did you know that? Let me read out of Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5, verse 21. He says. I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I won't listen. Do you know what the issue here is there? We'll get to that in a second. The issue is they were doing it routinely and traditionally and didn't care what they were doing. They were doing it with their heads and not their hearts. There was a clog. And God says, I don't want anything to do with that. It needs to be in every meal. Before God is concerned with the expression of your worship, He's concerned with the heart of the worshiper before he's ever concerned about how you express your worship. And he is concerned about that. We'll get to it next week. The hands. But before he's concerned about that, he's concerned about the the position of the heart of the worshiper. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 says, And he said to them, You shall love, you shall love, you shall love, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. When we enter that sanctuary, yes, he's concerned about how we worship, but before he is concerned about how we worship, he is concerned that we are actually worshiping. And you can raise your hands and you can sing your song and never begin to worship, Ever. So, it should be an ingredient in every meal, but also it should be mixed into every element of the worship service. So, not only should it be every meal, but it should be in every dish of that meal. If that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. It should be mixed into everything that we do during this worship service. The proclamation of God's word should stir the emotions as we read what this book has to say to you and I about who we are and who God is and the relationship we can have through faith because of the finished and accomplished work of Jesus on the cross, all that this book says about all of that should stir emotions. And then the songs we sing and the prayers we pray should be expressions of those emotions that we now feel. The scripture stirs the emotions, and the prayers and the songs are expressions of those emotions that we feel. Let's talk through those very quickly, each individually. Firstly, the proclamation of God's word should stir emotions. When we open this book and we hear what it has to say, it should stir our hearts. We see this when Jesus teaches from Scripture uh, to the two men on the road. After, he, after his resurrection, he's walking on this road with two men to Emmaus. And, and uh, we see in Luke chapter 24, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all, in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Right, So he's proclaiming the Word of God to them. And what is the response in verse 32? They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road while He opened to us the Scriptures? You know, scripture should cause our hearts to burn. And burn with multiple emotions. Burn with a lot of emotions. Sometimes differing emotions. So if we're looking at, say, for example, a text on judgment. Impending judgment or condemnation for sinners outside of Christ. right? This should lead to conviction for those who aren't in Christ and grief for those who are in Christ grieving over those who are going to be lost one day. Or what about a text about the salvation of sinners and the applied work of Christ in the life of a sinner? That should bring joy, shouldn't it? I mean, that's the story of Philip and the eunuch in Acts chapter 8, right? It says, so Philip ran to him. He sees this man. He's on a cart. He runs to the man. He heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and he sat with him. And after we, if we just keep reading, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and he began with the Scriptures. He told him the good news about Jesus. He proclaimed through Scripture the good news of salvation. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went away rejoicing. The Word of God proclaimed led to joy. Our hearts should burn in multiple ways when the Word of God is proclaimed. But then also the songs and the prayers should be expressions of those emotions which are evoked by God's Word. Let's take them one at a time. Firstly, we need to express our emotions through song. Through the songs we sing. We should express the things we're feeling. Right, we should sing songs that express our joy. That, right? That's Psalm 95 that Lisa read earlier. Oh come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. You see, we see that about God. that He's a great God. He's a great King above all other gods. We see that in Scripture and the response is emotions expressed through song. But not just singing with joy, but also, can you believe this? I think our our songs that we sing should be expressions also of grief and sadness. When we read in, in Ezekiel 32, he's talking about the judgment that God brought on Egypt. And this is what he says in verse 16. He says, This is a lamentation or a a weeping, a, a sad song. This is a lamentation that shall be chanted. The daughters of the nations shall chant it over Egypt and over all of her multitudes. Should they chant it? Declares the Lord God. This is like an expression of a sad song. <clears throat> so I want to, I want to, want to dissect this with you for just a second. Those two verses that I just read, well, first in Psalms 95, joyful singing, and then Ezekiel 32 about sad singing, this teaches a couple things to us. Firstly, our songs should include language about how we feel, right? Do you guys see that? Our songs should include emotive language, whether it be joyful or lament, I think a good example of that is in Christ alone. Think about the, the, the emotive language. What heights of love, what depths of peace when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. So our songs should include emotive language to express the emotions we're feeling. But also our songs should fit naturally With what we're responding to in Scripture, right? The emotions we're expressing in the song should be a natural fit to the word that we just read. Does that make sense? So, give you an example here. If we read a Scripture from a Psalm expressing despair and discouragement, which they're in there, it would be unfitting, and can I just say it'd be really awkward if. Pastor Trent who leads our worship, right? If we were to say, Amen, put your hands together, let's start singing. It'd be really weird, wouldn't it? Very awkward. And we start singing, Oh, Happy Day. Which I don't think we should sing that anyway, but this is Amazing Grace. It's an upbeat, chipper song. That'd be very strange after reading and responding to a psalm of despair and discouragement. Instead, it would be appropriate to sing like, before the throne of God above, when Satan tempts me to despair and he tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sins. Wouldn't that be so much more fitting if we were to read a psalm of despair to sing that as a follow up? Or what about a time of, of prayer and confession of sin? Right? Confessing, God, I'm guilty. I've sinned before You. I need Your your salvation. Right? We we have this time of confession and then we sing, It is well. Right? Clear emotional language, but it's unrelated to confession of sin. It's about the grief that we're feeling. It would be so much more appropriate to sing, How deep the Father's love. Behold that man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed. I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Right? We just confess sin and now we can say, ashamed, I see my sin there. We sing not only emotive songs, but we sing emotive songs that fit the Scripture we're responding to. Not only should our songs express the emotions we feel, but also the prayers we pray should express the emotions we feel. And on that, I just want to say two quick things. Our prayers should be real. I think so many times we pray stale, dry, can I even say fake prayers. Our prayers should be real, raw. If we're heartbroken, we should pour out our heart before God. Let me read Psalm 88. Listen to the the emotions, the real and the raw emotions that David prays. Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. You ever been there? You have put me in the depths of this pit in the regions, dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy on me. You overwhelm me with your waves. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, Lord. Do you see that? The rawness and the realness of our prayers. If we're heartbroken, we should pour out our heart before God. But our prayers shouldn't just be real. They should also be reverent. Our prayers should not just be real. They should be reverent. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard someone say, are you mad at God? Let him have it. He's tough. He can take it. Ever heard that before? He's big. Let him have it. Unleash it on him. My response would be just because he is gracious doesn't mean we should abuse that grace, Romans 6. In the same way, just because he can take it doesn't mean it's right for us to dish it out to him. It's better, I would say, to pray like what David prayed in Psalm 22, right? my God, my God, why? Right To just pray, I don't understand. It's not right for me to be mad at you. You're never in the wrong, but I don't understand right now your plan. It's so much better to pray that. We need to pray real prayers, but we also need to pray reverent prayers in the midst of those real feelings. So, wrapping up here, there may be times where we approach God's throne with so many feelings. Right? Like, like Paul who said, I'm sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Maybe you can experience, you, you know what that's like to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. This complex emotion situation. And if that's you, let me say, he understands. He made you that way to be like him. But there are other times where we have to admit we don't feel much at all. And we don't want to feel much at all. Have you ever been there? Where you just are numb. Where you're just numb. What do you do then? What do you do? Even today. Maybe you came today and you're feeling absolutely numb to everything that's going on. Got nothing going on here. And you're hearing a whole bunch of stuff that you have to think about up here, but nothing's happening here. What do you do then? I would say God always wants our heart and our obedience. He doesn't just want givers. He wants cheerful gi- givers. He doesn't just want our confession. He wants our, our conviction. All right, And so when Judah... Dex Riggins, which he does. (laughs) I tell Judah, go apologize to Riggins right now. But I don't want him just to say empty words, do I? I want him to not just confess, but to feel conviction. God wants that from us. He, he, He doesn't just want our obedience. He wants our hearts as well. But sometimes, all that we can do is be obedient, and then pray that God would give us the emotions to match it. So if that's you this morning, and you're like, Isaac, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get to feel. I would say, do what he's called you to do. Do the obedience part, right? If it's giving, give. If it's confession, confess. If it's coming to church, come to church. If it's reading your Bible, read the Bible, Do the action He's called you to do, but then plead with God all the while that He would align your desire with that duty. Plead with God. God, give me a desire to give. Give me a desire to love the gathering. Give me a love to study Your Word. And I think as we do that, it will honor Him. So, in this last song, I'd encourage you, don't just, don't just sing with your mouths, sing with your hearts to a God that deserves not just your thoughts, but your emotions and your passion. Let me pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.